Welcome back to part four of a white, gray, black manga book club discussion of Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind by Hayao Miyazaki. My name is Bruce. I am joined once again by my constant co-host, Gautam. What's up? Let's get right in because the story does not stop moving. Gautam, this part of Nausicaa, part four, it's kind of a downer, isn't it? Tell me how you felt about it. It, it was buck wild and it don't stop going. <laughs> I'll tell you that. Uh, yeah, it, 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 it has kept my interest like so much. Uh, usually when I read like these week to week things, I put it off to the last minute, but after the last part, I could not wait to read this part. And yeah, it was a total downer, but in all of the best ways, I guess. Yeah, it's, it was, this was the most intense. It just keeps getting more and more intense and more and more messed up right uh this part part four is called catastrophe uh and which it could be talking about a number of things because there are lots of catastrophes in this part um I, I made a little note here that says that this is this is the part of the story that uh storytellers often call sorry it's called a pinch i like to think of it as things get worse right it's it's the it's the middle section of the story where you've met all the players you understand what they're doing Events have happened, you've set up the action, and then things get worse. Because they have to get worse before they get better. That's the way drama works. So this whole part four is just, it is literally a catastrophe, and it is things getting worse. Um, let's get right into what happened here. Uh, this picks up essentially right after the end of part three. So the first thing we see is the Dorok prisoners returning to the Dorok army. Um we follow a the woman who was given the babies that Nausicaa rescued in part three, uh, along with some earrings that Nausicaa gave her. Uh, this woman is brought before the sort of Dorak elder guy. Uh, he gives her some gold for the earrings, and they sort of chat about, like, who gave you this? It was the woman in blue, blah, blah, blah. It's Nausicaa. He's on her scent. Um, he gives her some gold, tells her to go east, because things are not going to be good where the rest of the army is going. Um, and uh, let's have let's have a let's call this guy the nice Dorok elder because he's the guy yeah. from uh, the military leader from last part that we were talking about who right who was like yeah a, a good strategist but clearly like I I don't know he was against Nausicaa in in that part but in in this part he kind of turns he's kind he's not necessarily a good guy but he's kind of on her side so yeah his name is Charuka I, I think we learned that uh, pretty soon here or in this in this section but okay got it I, I didn't know yeah so uh, cut to next scene Nausicaa is leaving the Toromekians on her little Mae flying machine to go south right where she knows that the Omu are heading uh, as she leaves she sees some there are some Doroks in their ships flying over some, I put dying spores, question mark. I don't know if it's fully explained what is going on here, but there's like, they say they're, they, they're like, oh, they're dried out. The spores are collapsing under their own weight. Um, all this kind of stuff. The Doroks seem to know that those, this kind of growth is here. Uh, and then mm -hmm. we get a scene of a bunch of scientists on this Dorok ship discussing, um, uh, New spores, which they've locked in unbreakable containers. Ooh, of course they're unbreakable. I put, quote, unsinkable ship, the Titanic. Because this is, uh, to me, this is this is ironic, right? This is like dramatic irony. They put, some somebody puts something in a movie and says, oh, don't worry, nothing's ever broken out of that box. No one's ever escaped from that jail. It's like, okay, well, I know what's yeah. gonna happen. <laughs> um to do. So Charuka, the elder, is on this ship. Uh, he is begging Mira Lupa, our Darth Vader character, not to use this bioweapon, right? And this bioweapon is what that they've put inside the... Uh, what they have put inside the these, these containers, right? Yeah, so, effectively bats, yeah. Right. So he's begging them not to use it, which kind of is our second or third little evidence, like you were saying, that, like, Charka's not a bad guy. He's trying to avoid using the bioweapon. He's, you know, saved the woman and the two kids. Um, clearly, he's more shades of gray, I guess you could say, in a typical way. Um, 
So they put the uh, the spores in these unbreakable containers. They they have like a, a freezer in their ship, keeping them cold. They say will keep them from growing. They put them down there, and before the scene cuts away, we see one growing inside its container. So again, pretty obvious what's going to happen here. Uh, pretty big foreshadowing for what we'll see coming up in uh, at the end of the chapter. Essentially, I think is when we get back to this. Right. So the next thing we see is we see the Valley Boys. Uh, they're flying their little ship, and they are looking for Nausicaa and also Yupa. Um, they land in a town, they ask around, and they find his chocobo, his bird, uh, who apparently, we learn, is the female partner of Nausicaa's bird, who we saw die, of course, at the end of Part 3. So, and the Valley Boys now know this because... The bird that they find, Yupa's bird, lays an egg, and they say something about how these bird partners only lay in eggs when they're, they know their partner has died, so they're now they're worried. Uh, but yeah, that's a pretty interesting little lore thing here. World building in, in, in Nausicaa has been great. There's all these cool little details like this, like the chocobos and the insects and everything. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so, I, it, and it makes sense. Uh, Kai, Nausicaa's chocobo. Uh, I, I didn't even put it together, but I, I guess it makes sense that uh, Yupa's Chocobo and hers are married. Uh, rest in peace. <laughs> yeah. So, cut again. We are back to Asbel and Yupa and the the girl whose name I forgot that I wrote down, Ketcha, um, Ketcha. who are under with the, with the forest people. Um, they're being shown a massive egg place. Bunch of eggs put down. Um, and the forest people tell them, uh, they say that insects will lay a great many eggs before taking great migrations. So again, everything is sort of the whole story at this point, And especially now feels like it's starting to kind of all flow, like things kind of break open in part four and they all start flowing downhill towards the Daikai show, right? This big kind of cataclysmic event that we've been told about. Um, and this is part of it, right? All these bugs have laid eggs. They found them and they've all left. Um, so uh, the forest people say, they ask like, oh, I, you know, they're in like a cleared area, right? Because Yupa's noted in part one or two, I don't remember, where the sea of corruption essentially is like cleansing the land below it. So if you go deep enough, it's, it's clear and empty. Um, Yupa asks the forest people, says, hey, how long is it going to take for the forest to clear all this stuff? And they're like, oh, you know, not too long, maybe 200 years. And he's like, that's a long fucking time. Um, they all kind of discuss and talk about blue clad. They literally are all like gossiping about Nausicaa because everyone's met her. She's this, the forest people have her as like a, uh, I guess some kind of prophecy or something like that that they have. Um, so the forest people then send... Yupa, Asbel, and Ketcha on their way outside the forest. They say, you know, go for half a day and you'll reach the edge of the forest. So we cut again to the Valley Boys flying over the Sea of Corruption. Um, hey, real quick, I, yeah. I, Yupa had an interesting thought on um, <clears throat> about, about Nausicaa here, uh, where the forest people say this, uh, of course, like you said, the, the Persian clad in blue is supposed to be some kind of savior uh, mm. for everyone. And uh that savior in blue is revered by the forest people and Yupa posit like is starting to posit is like, is it that this is kind of a supernatural or a spiritual phenomenon where the world, uh, kind of dictates a savior when it needs saving or mm. is this just a kind of happenstance, you know? Yeah. Is, is, that's is it just that Nausicaa is very competent and also just in blue, you know, like, and, I don't know. Could be both. Yeah, self, Could be never self, answered. Who knows? Self-fulfilling prophecy or fate. Who knows? Yeah. Um, yeah. Interesting stuff. And I, I like that we get a little bit of this in this. Uh, we, I can see a lot of it decently. There's a lot of sort of like prophecy and cl clearly all this stuff lines up with Nausicaa, but we'll see in a little bit. Nausicaa's pretty vehement. And it's kind of denying that it's like, oh, there's a part a little bit where it's like, you're an angel. Here you are. And she's like, no, no, no. Like, I don't have wings. That's a, that's a flying ship. I'm dressed in blue because Omu blood, blah, blah, blah. So she seems to kind right. of deny it. So I'm wondering. As she should. Yeah. Well, and I'm wondering if by the end of the, I wonder if it's, 
if the prophecy is fulfilled and it's very sort of classic fantasy where it's, yes, you are the chosen one, go and do your duty. Or if there's a, I wonder if there's a reversal in the end here where she denies it, you know, still saves people. I, I don't know what's going to happen, which I think is cool. I don't, I don't think that will be answered. I, I think it's more so Nausicaa will get it done and it's up to the audience to determine whether, hey, is this like meant to be like a, a prophetic thing or is Nausicaa just that fucking good? You know, like, yeah. who knows? Uh, either way, I'm, I'm interested in seeing if they actually deliver an answer to that. Yeah, me too. Very curious. Um, let's see. Yeah, cut to the Valley Boys flying over the Sea of Corruption. They come across another Dorok battleship. There's a lot of, like, coming across Dorok battleships in this uh, in this part. There's, like, three or four <laughs> different situations where it's just, like, cut to a new people, they find the Dorok battleship, and shit's going down. Um, this is, I <laughs> yeah. think, the second time maybe the first time um anyways this rock battleship is carrying the ha- a half-grown god warrior underneath it so it's literally just carrying like a huge half flesh half steel like dude underneath it um the valley boys they said we gotta take the ship down Dorocks are bad that's a god warrior we gotta kill it um they try to shoot some missiles at it the God Warrior appears to like half wake up and sort of like take a swipe at the Valley Boys with its hand and closes its hand. Um, they dodge this. The Valley Boys then get shot down by another Dorok ship that was with the with the God Warrior carrier. Um, they go down and crash. The Doroks that are on the God Warrior plane, uh, one of them notes that like, hey, its hand is closed. It wasn't closed earlier. And they're all like, ha! No way, bro. Not true. It can't move. It's not alive. It's dead. Clearly, man, you're imagining things. And it's like, boy, yeah, I think we know what's going to happen here. Uh, well, I, I I also remember at one point um, <clears throat> with the God Warrior, they're like, uh, someone was like, oh, it's moving around like a baby would, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, and I think the, uh, was, yeah, the Valley Boys, I think, talk about the Valley about Boys, that. I think. Yeah. yeah. And another Valley Boys, like it is a baby, you know? Uh, yeah. It, it probably just woke up. It, it, it is acting like a baby. Yeah. Uh, and that made me think because there was another line where Nausicaa calls an insect. It's like, oh, this child is, is suffering. And it's like, an, oh, she called like the fungus later on in this chapter. It's like, oh, this child is, is just scared or something like that. And someone thinks child, you know? Uh, yeah. I, I'm, I'm wondering if this God warrior is also going to be uh, quote unquote, a child, you know, like, uh, it's like just something that gets along with Nausicaa, you know? Yeah. Or, you know, I clearly it's a force of nature without maturity. Right. I mean, if you give like, uh, you know, if you gave the nuclear button to a baby, the baby's just going to press it. Baby likes to press buttons. So that's kind of the same, uh, the same thing I'm feeling here. Yeah, I, I'm just I, I just have a feeling Nausicaa is going to get along with it or something. Um, yeah, sure, sure. That doesn't that doesn't happen in the movie. Uh, I, I, I won't tell you what happens there, but um, well, yeah, I mean, so speaking of the movie, I I haven't seen it yet. You've seen it 10 years ago or something. Um, yeah. This is the time to note while we're speaking about God Warriors that I know that one of these shows up in the movie and I know that it is mostly animated by Hideki Anno, who is the creator of Evangelion. And I want to draw some pretty clear parallels here between the God Warriors and Evangelions. This is, I mean, these God Warriors to me, look, I'm a huge Eva fan. This is, they are very much just Evangelion. They're like prototype They're a prototype Eva. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. They are just a prototype Evangelion. I don't know whether Anno came up with this idea and pitched it to Miyazaki or whether Miyazaki literally <laughs> invented Evangelions and, and Anno was just like, I'm going to take that little plot point and do way more with it or what. I just think it's really cool seeing. I think it's I the mean, former. I, I, or sorry, the latter. I think Miyazaki yeah, came I up think with so. God Warriors and inspired Eva like that. Um, yeah. It's just very cool to see, like, there's lots of visuals of the God Warrior, even just in this chapter, that's like, for instance, the ship kind of carrying it underneath it. Like, that is how, I think, we're introduced to Unit 2, is like a bunch of ships carrying Unit 2 and they drop her in the ocean. Um, It's like just a literal, like, one-to-one imagery of like, oh, a big ship carrying the sort of proto-human flesh mech below it. That's a thing we see in Eva, the way that they they move, the way that they're sort of um, childlike. They have consciousness, but it isn't fully formed. Spoilers for Evangelion. Uh, 
except except this one has the best Eva pilot of all, uh, or this series does Nausicaa, who can just uh, yeah. get along with all things. Um, I, I feel like uh, Nausicaa is a mom to all the babies and little kids in this universe so far. I've mm-hmm. seen. Um, so I think Nausicaa will get along with God Warrior if if it actually has thoughts. You know, if it can you imagine can... dropping Nausicaa in like the middle of Evangelion universe and having her just like fix the other Eva pilots, <laughs> like yeah. someone so like well adjusted and and kind and good and pure and pragmatic as Nausicaa in the middle of like a bunch of abused, like depressed kids that, and, and a clone who have no idea what they're doing except for getting in <laughs> mechs and piloting them. It would be, it would be, it would be funny to see. It, it sounds like an unstoppable force, immovable object situation with <laughs> yeah. Nausicaa's kind of compassion and like well-adjustedness versus Shinji's depression. It's like who, who comes out the other side like the other person, you know, yeah, <laughs> like, does Shinji exactly. get fixed? Does Nasuka get depressed? Who knows? Yeah. God, that'd be funny. Anyways, that's, that's our short, a short little stint into Hideaki Anno, who helped with the Nasuka movie. Yeah. Evangelion back to the story. So, uh, the Valley boys crash and Yupa and his little group, they see them crash. These two groups meet up. This, this is part of the story again, that tells me, that we're sort of on the downhill slope of the story. Cause generally if you have all these multiple storylines, you split people up, you have to split people up, they do their thing and then they start coming back together. To me, this is the first step of we're bringing people back together. I assume by the very end, all these, all these players, all these actors will be in the same place. But here we've brought together the Valley boys who were searching for Nazca and Yupa and Yupa and Asbel. Um, and so now we have sort of consolidated one storyline essentially. Um, so they all kind of chat about the Valley boys chat about the God warrior. Uh, they talk about Jekyll's death, Nausicaa's dad. Um, everybody talks about Nausicaa like she's Jesus. Cause she essentially is. They're all like, Oh yeah, Nausicaa. She's great. We met her. She saved me. She saved me. She healed me. It's amazing. We're looking for her. We need her. Uh, it's very funny to me how this kind of big group of all these people are all just sort of like in awe of Nausicaa and they have all encountered her and they have all been essentially saved by her. Uh, it's just yeah. very funny. Yeah, she she's effectively the symbol of hope. Um, yeah, yeah. So uh, at the very end of this scene, they sort of look off into the distance and they can see a large migration of flying bugs heading south. So and south is where we know the Omu were also headed. Um, next next scene, we cut to Kashana on her ship, and they also see not a lot of flying bugs. They see a single large flying bug. Um, Kurotawa commands everybody on the ship. They say, don't fire at the bug. Don't antagonize it. It's just leave it alone. Um, and here comes a man with a huge mustache. I wrote, it's his super Mario's third brother, stupid motherfucker, Mario. He wants to be a hot shot and take shots at the big bug. He literally like knocks the gunner out of the way and is like, Hey, if I get it in one shot, you owe me a thousand bucks. And the whole, this is like, a little bit of dramatic irony because you know, right? You know that this is bad. You know that he didn't hear the command or is just disobeying it. You know stuff's about to go bad. Um, before stupid motherfucker Mario takes his shot, Kurtawa's plane, they, they look behind them and they see this, I assume the same big, huge wave of flying bugs is coming up behind him. Um, stupid Super Mario takes his shot, kills the bug in one shot. Congratulations, you've won yourself $1,000 and instant death. Uh, <laughs> the next note here that I wrote just says all hell breaks loose. Cause pretty much from now until the end of the chapter, there's only like one pause. Everything else is being fucked by bugs and slime mold and spores. It's just like absolutely an avalanche from this point forward. Um, shooting and running the Kushana and Kuratawa get away in their ship. The ship with stupid super Mario on it gets annihilated. Like I said, um, Kushana wants to use the sort of, uh, the, uh, commotion oh, caused, yeah. yeah, the commotion caused by the bugs and the spores coming. They, they land at an, an army base, which does have some of her army there already, but she's going to try to, you know, take it back. That was the plan before the bugs showed up. Um, yeah, effectively, they weren't being controlled by anyone aside from her brother, uh, one of the princes, uh, who who just took control of portions of her army. And 
they're recapturing control in all of the chaos by saying, "Hey, the bugs are coming! The bugs get, get in the yeah. fucking ships!" You know, and like, they're not—they're not lying. <laughs> they could yeah, have been lying, lying, but they're not lying. They're um, just exploiting a situation. Yeah. Again, yeah. this is sort of. I'm trying to think of what this reminds me of. It kind of reminds me of like um, Saving Private Ryan, like the D-Day scene almost. It's just like chaos and slaughter from here to the end here. Yeah. Um, Lushana and her group, uh, they, they're in their plane. They get cut off by a huge armored Corvette, uh, which is manned by one of her older brothers. Like you were saying, her older brother here is the one that's like in command. Um, Kushana's ship gets hit and is like almost completely destroyed. They open fire on her from this armored Corvette. Um, Kurotawa is what well, looks like mortally wounded here. Essentially very, very wounded. Um, the bro is fucked up, yeah. Yep. Sorry, I got something weird in my mouth. Okay. Um, yeah, we, we then sort of meet Trishana's brother, who comes out, another fat dude, not much else to say. Uh, he literally steps out and instantly, like, is looks at Kushana and is like, Hey, your mom. And like starts insulting her mother. <laughs> and she, yeah. Kushana does not like this. Uh, this, I like this, this characterization again, I think Kushana is still like my favorite character in this. I like this cause it's, you know, someone comes out and insults your mother, like, okay, sure, whatever. But this is also her brother. And it's, it's very good character writing to show that that really gets under Kushana's skin. She reacts really, uh, aggressively to it. And then like we're going to see in just a little bit, there's a flashback that kind of explains why. Um, but yeah, uh, Kurotawa is, tries to tell the older brother and kind of Kushana kind of is like, Hey, are you betraying me? Cause he's yelling. He's like, the bugs are coming. You have to escape. I'm tired of working for her. I, I need to save you. You have to escape. The bugs are coming. Um, they and the uh, the bro and all his guys kind of go and look, and they're like, "Oh shit, bugs are coming. We need to leave now." Um, Kurotawa then kind of is like, "Ha ha, got him, Kushana. I'm on your side, actually." He says, uh, "He says, hey, get in the ship. I'm going to throw it into full reverse. Uh, we'll, which will that'll get you out of the way, and and you'll be safe." Um, so yeah, they do this. Kurotawa uh, really proving to be way more loyal than I expected. Yeah, again, this is one of these guys that in, in chapter one, we were like, this dude's a motherfucker. I hate this guy. And by now I'm sort of like, what an honorable dude. I like this guy. <laughs> he's, it, which is it, No, he's like, it, I, I like him too, but he's like so consistently slimy. Mm-hmm. Um, he's slimy, but so competent, you know? Like, yeah. Usually these characters, these types of slimy goons are characterized as these like manipulators that... Yeah, or they're like uh, overly confident. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They're, they're like overly confident and so full of themselves, and they think they're the greatest thing ever. This guy is, yeah, he's a cool character. I like character writing in in Nausicaa is super good. Like all, I mean, this yeah, guy is, is Saul Goodman in Nausicaa, effectively. Right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's that's a good thing. Yeah, he's like a slimy kind of gross dude, but he's also like really good at his job and actually really loyal to Kushana and saves her right here. Right. So he does, he does what he says, right. Kushana gets on the ship. He throws it into full reverse. What this does is this, uh, like launches Kushana out of the way of her brother's Corvette and Kurotawa's body goes like flying eventually, essentially under the wheels of the, of the Corvette as it, as it flies off. Um, Kushana is able to sort of grab Kurotawa's, I wrote corpse, but he's not actually dead yet. Um, he will be soon. Uh, he'll walk it off. Yeah, he'll be fine. Um, uh, yeah, he takes it to another one of her ships. They, she still has some, some loyalists that are here that were announcing, uh, the bugs coming for everyone to leave. So they, they, they pick up Kushana and Kurotawa and they get out of there. Um, Kushana then watches her brother's Corvette fly like directly into the bugs for some reason and gets again, just absolutely annihilated. <laughs> and she's like, <laughs> well, I wanted to kill you, but I guess I'll take that. Um, at this point, yeah, the bugs show up at the base, and this uh, this is bad. So the ship that Kushana is on can't take off because the bugs are here now. So she is forced to kind of run. Um, I, I literally just wrote, everything's fucked. Because this is very, again, this it, is literally it is like... an everything is fucked moment, yeah. Yeah, the bugs are here, the spores are there. Um, Kushana is able to get a few men to safety in like a trench, uh, and they're all just kind of like huddled in the trenches. All this, you know, catastrophe happens above and around them. Um, here's where we get that flashback I was talking about. 
We have a flashback to Kashana uh, visiting her mother, who is mentally unwell, we learn, from drinking a poison that was meant to uh, make Kushana this sort of mentally unwell person. So uh, she did it to sort of save save her daughter. Um, Kushana, we get this kind of flashback to her as a child and the her, I guess her mother's advisors or her advisors are ever telling her, like, your mom saved you, you better make good use of this and not die and be good and all that stuff. And remember that you're surrounded by snakes and all that. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's her whole family's den of snakes, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, and then Kushana, and, uh, in, in the flashback, uh, just cause it was such a good flashback. Um, her, she, Kushana goes to visit her mom before she goes off on her campaign. Her mm-hmm. mom, uh, screams at her stating not to take Kushana away. She's holding a doll, um, who she thinks is baby Kushana cause her mind is gone. Uh, and, uh, she, she, Kushana effectively says, uh, I, I will make sure that you and your daughter aren't harassed anymore. Um, kind of, uh, trying to reassure her mom, give her safety, even though her mind is addled. Um, yeah, I, I thought that was, uh, that was really strong. Uh, there was also one, I think someone mentioned next to Kushana that Kushana is the last person of pure loyal royal blood remaining which means um the king the emperor i mean uh and her mother are royalty and she is like purebred lo- royal whereas i'm assuming her brothers are yeah her brothers are all like yeah like yeah. from different people yeah cool uh and that that whole flashback is all capped off by what i thought is a really badass line from kushana talking to her mom where she says, I go to smash the fangs of those who have tormented you and your daughter, my lady. I think that's like badass. Kushana's oh, yeah, that's favorite. awesome. Yeah, that's great. Um, so Kushana sort of smiles back in present day out of the flashback. She smiles as she sees the bug so close. Um, she literally like looks one in the eye and is like, OK, you're going to kill me. Here we go. Let's do it. Let's dance. Um, and then they don't kill her. And she starts she starts sort of singing, humming and everyone's like all the soldiers around her are like freaked the fuck out. They're like, why is she singing? Why is the, why is the princess singing? This is weird. Um, yeah. And that's such a great moment because, uh, it's like a double whammy where Kushana is, uh, grateful to the bugs for having killed her brother and mm-hmm. crossing something off her bucket list, uh, before she died. And two, she is, she embraces that, Hey, I'm going to die here, but I am satisfied that yeah. at least that happened. Well, and it's also, I think a really, it's, I think it has really interesting implications in that she kind of like looks it, it, it the way that I read this part, she kind of looks at this flying bug and like connects with it. Maybe not quite in the same way that Nausicaa does, but I think she, she sort of, I don't want to say she like reaches out and feels for it, but she sort of like accepts what's happening and doesn't, she doesn't hate she's the bug for what it. it's doing. Yeah. She's grateful to it because it killed yeah. her brother. And uh, even though it was going to kill her, of course, we know the audience knows that um, the bugs really don't attack unless provoked, and right, yeah. they're they're weirdly just kinder than people, right? Like uh, if they see har- like people harmlessly hiding, they won't attack them. Uh, right? Yeah. I, well, and I think that's I think that's yeah. the key point you hit on at the end. There is that Kushana isn't. I think Kushana isn't showing fear or malice. She doesn't hate the bugs. She doesn't have that sort of negative emotion in her in that moment. And I think that's kind of what, um, yeah. what the bug feels to spare her. So I think that yeah. that's, and that's again, kind of a, a thing that Nausicaa did at the start where she's calming down the Omu and the other bugs by being, you know, not afraid saying, don't be afraid, blah, blah, blah. So Kushana, I think kind of has grown a little bit from knowing Nausicaa and dealing with her and seeing how she does things. And I, yeah, I think that's really cool. So, and, and I, I think, what both Nausicaa and Kushana showed are kind of genuine positive feelings, right? Like not right, yeah. nothing fake, uh, like very earnest feelings. Um, Kushana is being grateful. Nausicaa is just feeling everything for the book. So like uh, sad mm-hmm. at moments, uh, trying to protect them. Like, and I think that uh, they can understand that just like the forest people can kind of speak to bugs. I, I think that's, yeah, I yeah. think that's just something the bugs can, are, are in tune with, like you said. Yeah, there's a lot of, yeah, you're right. There's a lot of um, implications, kind of storytelling here that tells you that if you hate the bugs, 
they will hate you back. And if you are just sort of, if you understand that nature is not a hatred thing, you will be spared. So, uh, one sec. Let me get this out of here. Cut that. Okay. Um, where were we? Here we go. So, cut to Nausicaa now. Landing in a little empty marsh. Here's our kind of one reprieve from uh, the kind of war-torn stuff that, that bookends this scene. Uh, she lands in a marsh. She finds this little ancient temple and a small boy. Uh, the boy takes her to a bunch of, like, literal zombie dudes sitting in another temple uh, who are, like, religious elders of some type. Um, they talk to her about the prophecy, which is about her they think uh they show her a mural that has a girl who looks like her wearing blue with angel's wings um they describe you know they describe this being as a savior or an angel that's coming to save them um the i think it's the little boy says like i saw you and you're wearing blue and you had angel wings and she's like no 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 like that's my ship that's the mave that's not anything and i'm wearing blue because it's uh i'm just wearing blue it's not you know i'm she, this is the part where i was talking about where she kind of denies she says, I am not your savior in so many words, right? She says, yeah. no, no, no. I'm not this angel you think I am. I'm, you know, I'm just a person. I'm just a person doing my best. So again, this is kind of where I don't know if implications for the ending here that I'm excited to find out about. At the very least, I know Nausicaa believes that, you know, because right, right. if she was a savior, then she like she wouldn't have to participate in war. Yeah. Uh, well, but no, yeah, it was good stuff. And this is much... This is much more interesting, in my opinion, than this sort of um, learning the 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 main prophecy character learning about the prophecy and being like, I fit all these things. I this must be me. Now I'm the prophecy person. I have all these like things to live up to. Um, I like more that Nausicaa here is not like, oh, all these people think I'm going to save them. Like I have to live up to that. I have to do what's right. I have to be the savior. She's just like, no, she's just like. I was taught to, and she says it in this next part, right? Um, she says it in a little bit, but she says, uh, where did it go? Yeah, there it is. Um, she, so the elders talk of omens and of the apocalypse coming and blah, blah, blah. Nasuka wants to know if there's a way to stop the Daikai show. That's her main concern. Um, she tells these elders, she says, why do the plants and the bugs and the insects have to suffer as well? And they tell her destruction is inevitable. And this is the part that I was leading to where she counters with, hey, I learned from the God of the wind in the Valley of the Wind telling me to live, how sacred life is, which clearly this is sort of like, oh, okay, yes, this is this is Nazca's point of view. This is her, uh, her religion, blah, blah, blah. Um, and this this sort of ties back into what I was saying with how she doesn't she doesn't embrace the savior role, but she just says who I am is just someone who values life above all else. So I'm going to, you know, take my action to, uh, preserve that life. Uh, I'm not your savior. I'm just doing what I think is right. So. Yeah, that, that's, that's freaking perfect. Uh, I, I, I think that kind of attitude and reasoning is why I don't feel like, uh, Nausicaa is a Mary Sue in any way. No, I don't uh, feel like it yeah. either. I mean, she also pretty consistently, like, makes mistakes and messes stuff up, especially at the start. I mean, even in, you know, she, her, like, her bird dies. She, her bird dies in part three. Uh, she's, she's definitely not a Mary Sue. She's, she's very competent. Not, yeah, definitely not a Mary it, Sue. It, no, I agree. What's interesting is that even the mistakes she makes are, like, uh, I feel like you can write competent characters and their crucial flaw is something the audience would be like, well, how did he make that mistake? How did she make that mistake? You know, like, right. There's stupid like mistakes. Yeah. They, yeah. It's like the, the, the mistake has to be something just to instigate problems in the story. Whereas I feel like all of Nausicaa's mistakes feel justified, like justified mistakes, you know, like, uh, I understand why she would take that course of action, even though right, yeah. this kind of, yeah, kind they of, aren't, yeah, she's the mistakes don't undermine her competency at all. She's still competent. Yeah, she still makes the exactly. mistakes. It makes sense. Cool. Um, so they have this little argument. Nausicaa then sort of mentally picks up on one of these big flying bugs who is hurt. And she kind of runs outside. She follows it. This big bug crashes into the march, the, the marsh. Um, 
Then she looks up and sees, again, the, the sort of great migration of all these flying bugs who are coming right towards her. Um, the bug she returns, that fell into the marsh was the one that got shot, right? Like the, uh, I don't... M- maybe, possibly... It, it could it. be. It's. I think it's very yeah. possible it is. I don't know if it's... It's not directly stated. I thought mm. that the one that got shot maybe got it, like, really blown up. Like, I thought it got it through the head and it was just dead. So this might just be a different one that got attacked. But, got it. Because uh, a bunch of them were being shot by uh, the Toromechians in the last part, so... Yeah, that makes sense. It could, yeah, it could be any of them. Um, she returns to the elders to see that they all, they all in the, like, five minutes she left have died. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> which is which is kind of funny because when you see well, them, they are like literal zombies, and she like oh, leaves well, for five only minutes. One was, only one was alive talking to her. Um, I thought that there were two or three talking to her that were alive. It was just know. the one guy in front of her, okay. and he died. But they're all like kind of force zombies too, right? So they're yeah. technically all talking to her. Yeah, I uh, guess that's what it was. Is they were sort of like undead, not undead, it, yeah, but like they, spirit. They ta- their like, spirits were talking to her, though they were dead. So yeah, exactly, exactly. They were yeah. talking to her mentally. Yeah, so uh, she and this little boy don their masks, take off on her little plane. They got to get out of here. The bugs and the spores are coming. Um, Nausicaa thinks that these bugs are angry, and then she corrects herself and says, no, they're not angry. What I'm feeling from them is actually that they are scared, uh, which is interesting. Uh, She also notes that something is different about the spores that they're flying through, right? Uh, She says their masks are not going to work. They got to get out of here. They can't just they were initially blend sort of blending in with the bugs because they didn't care about them because they're small. Um, But She says, no, we got to get out of here. We can't be near these bugs. So they go up. Uh, They rise through the clouds. And when they clear the clouds, they see surprise. It's a Dorok ship again, Um, (laughs) which is scattering miasma behind it and appears to be sort of uh, overtaken by some kind of thing. Uh, so they see the bugs fighting each other sort of directly behind this Dorok ship. Uh, and the miasma, uh, Nausicaa notes that the miasma from the ship is enraging the bugs and forcing them to fight each other. Uh, the ship, yeah, large fungus on the back of the ship. Uh, Nausicaa sort of sees this big fungus, sees what it's doing, sees that it's enraging the bugs and making them fight each other and is like, okay, that's the, that's the spark that starts the Daikai show. That's bad. So uh, they fly up to the ship. So this is this is the same ship with Charuka and Miralupa on it, right? This is the good Dorok Elder and the Darth Vader guy. Um, the uh, Elder and everybody, they are planning to try to save Miralupa from this slime mold. They start calling it slime mold now, which is overtaking their ship. Um, they're basically just trying to evacuate the most senior member on there. Uh, Nausicaa and lands. the Emperor's brother after all. It's true. He is the Emperor's brother. Um, yeah. Nausicaa lands on the ship. Uh, Miralupa is like, like, is like, she's here, she's here. And he like goes into his little like trance force power thing. Um, does his little ghost projection, like tries to kind of like, she's, he's trying to see Nausicaa, right? He wants to see her and he wants to kind of, uh, overtake her. Um, he literally is like, bro, you need to, you have to be scared of me or I can't like see you or hurt you or anything. And he's trying to be real intimidating and scary. Um, and Nausicaa pulls out the like, oh, you're so pitiful. Like literal pulls the pity card on him, uh, blinds him with light and love powers. I feel sorry for you. And he freaks out on her. (laughs) Yeah. He's like, I don't feel sorry for me. Be afraid. Um, (laughs) so after that happens, he sort of, uh, Miralupa comes back to his body. Uh, Charuka, the elder says, Get me Lupa off the ship. Get me the escape ship right now. Um, he has to stay to burn it, right? The elder has to stay to, to burn this down because if this, uh, he notes that if the ship reaches the ground, it will be the death of their nation. Um, so the escape ship is launched with Miralupa on it. Nausicaa boards the ship, uh, helps Charuka trigger the self-destruct and then escapes with Charuka, the little boy, and Nausicaa all on her mave. It, and it's really funny that Charka like is talking to the scientists as the mold is spreading, and the scientists are like, "We should take a sample and study this." Yeah. And Charka's like literally Jeff Goldbluming from Jurassic Park, you know, <laughs> where he's like, "You didn't think about is like, you your scientists were so concerned whether they could, they they didn't think whether or not they should." Um, yeah, yeah. He he effectively Goldblums them, and it's like, "What the fuck? Come on, <laughs> we're blowing this shit up. Shut up." Yeah, there's another scene in just a little bit that's exactly the same. I think that this, um, 
this chapter in particular seems like a pretty scathing attack on, I don't want to say science, it's not just scientists at large, right? It's the scientists who sort of use nature to produce, I mean, specifically, uh, specifically weapons, but even more so than weapons, I think this is just a scathing attempt at the kind of scientists who do not care for their nature and are more concerned with their science, right? Stuff like, he, like uh, animal experimentation and plant experimentation and all the, mm. and you know, deforestation, those kinds of things. This, to me, this felt like a pretty severe critique of those types of scientists with, uh, with the way that these scientist characters act in, in this chapter. Yeah. Also un, like kind of unchecked uh, innovation. Cause like, you know, mm-hmm. humans innovate and innovate and innovate and it never ends. And it goes so fast that we like nothing can keep up. You know, like, uh, and I don't know if this is exactly the point that Miyazaki was going for, but it it kind of reminds me of like AI technology adapting so fast nowadays that laws can't regulate them because right. Yeah. Like nobody expected this. Yeah, Um, it is. I I think you've hit on the thing. It is because it is right. The, the AI development without laws and morality around it will run out of control and be negative and bad in the mm -hmm. same way. I think that's what, um, I think that's what Miyazaki is saying here is that these scientists without morals and without laws or codes to sort of govern them go out of control and create slime mold, which is very bad. Um, Yeah. And I think what we're saying is that if we let AI continue, it will create a bunch of slime and nobody will like that. (laughs) Exactly. Terminator (laughs) 2 – he wasn't made of liquid metal. That's slime mold. he, yeah, yeah, that's that was all slime mold, guys. It's all just slime mold. Yeah, we've we've connected it. Uh, that's the future. Yeah. So the the ship is exploded. The mold that's on the ship kind of gets ejected. It makes this big parachute as it comes down, which is a cool like. I'm if I'm remembering right, there are actual fungus that sort of do this when they germinate or spread. They kind of make these little like little parachutes. I have to look that up and see. I'm, I'm pretty sure that's a real thing. Um, the bugs, all these flying bugs see this parachuting mold and they all go to try to attack it and essentially consume it. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Nausicaa and Nausicaa, the elder and the boy, they crash. Nausicaa is like, I got to go check out what's happening. This mold hit the ground. I have to go check it out. She tries to take off. Her mave is damaged. This is, this is one of those things we were talking about where it's like, oh, she makes little stupid mistakes. It's like she tries to take off. Her ship is hurt and she just kind of like, does a little like turnaround, crashes into the ground and it get, gets knocked out, which is very <laughs> yeah. like, okay. Yeah. She's like very concerned with figuring things out and trying to go and see what's going on with the mold and trying to help the bugs. And she doesn't pay attention to herself and it knocks her out. Um, uh, I think that's, that, that's like, that's so good because, uh, she is like so nonstop. It's kind of funny that she just eats shit because yeah. her she didn't notice one of the smaller details. Right. And that's, I mean, that's, that's what we're talking about, right? Is it doesn't, yeah, it, it yeah. doesn't subvert her character or make her not competent. It just means that like a lot of stuff has happened. Like you said, it's been kind of out of control nonstop here. And yeah, she missed one little thing on her plane, takes off, knocks her out. Um, Charka takes her gun, uh, uses one of the weird bullets and signals. There's a, a, a Dorok flying jar comes down. Uh, he sends a signal up to them. Uh, another Dorok ship comes down uh, to to pick up Nausicaa and Charka and the boy. Um, the, from here to the end of the chapter, it's slime mold time. Uh, that flying jar did not stand a chance. The slime mold comes up, takes over the jar. Uh, the elder notes that the slime mold is consuming all of the insect carcasses that are around it. Uh, and it's growing incredibly fast. Uh, here's the scene that I was talking about where the scientists on board this second ship are like, ooh, cool new discovery. Neat. How cool is this? Wow. Awesome. Uh, these new group of Doroks note that the the fleet, there should be a fleet of Dorok ships near them or coming to them soon that has not shown up. Parentheses, uh-oh. There's some psychic talk uh and Nausicaa shows Charika that the Omu are also coming south in this direction and that the Daikaisho is coming. He's terrified, obviously. Um, he's, he also says that the Daikaisho is heresy, not going to happen. We don't believe that's true. It's against our religion. Uh, but I think clearly he's like, oh, this girl is showing me the truth and the future. And I'm going to say I'm going to deny it because that's easier for me than, than accepting what I'm seeing here. I'm going to ignore that my boss just had a meltdown and needs to go take a bath. <laughs> 
Yeah, uh, exactly. After his weird meltdown. <laughs> yeah. So um, the Storlock ship flies off with them. Uh, they fly, they find a bunch more land, uh, like a town city essentially covered in this slime mold. Uh, someone notes that they saw like a single ship escape from this town that was packed with people and like fleeing, obviously fleeing the slime mold. Um, during all this time, Nausicaa wakes up on the ship. She feels something trying to like pull her to it, pull her down. And then she like flips out and is like up, 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 climb, climb, ship, climb. Um, the elder is like, yes, climb. And the ship, their ship sort of jettisons up and like narrowly dodges the slime mold arm, like coming, reaching up for them from below. Like they, they literally point out that this slime mold was like coming from their blind spot. And everyone is like, oh shit, is this slime mold like an intelligent creature? Uh, so yeah, I'm interested to see what happens with the slime mold. Is it like going to truly reach sentience or is it just this kind of smart thing? I don't know. So I like thinking about it. I, I thought at the time that it's just because the ship was giving off heat and the slime mold just wanted to eat whatever it's giving off heat. But Nausicaa did say that the slime mold was a child. Like she referred well, to and it she feels child. it like reaching for her. She feels like a, yeah. a personality, a spirit, like reaching, grabbing, like kind of calling her down. So um, this is like 100% sentient slime. And, and, and in some way it is, it is for sure sentient. Yeah. Because so, um, yeah, the, the scientists, they're all like, Nausicaa, I think, asks if there's more, uh, more mold spores or slime mold on the thing. And the scientists are like, yeah, they're in the containers. No way. No way. They're unbreakable containers. They're frozen. <laughs> no way an iceberg could sink the Titanic. Um, they sort of go down to the freezers to check them. Nausicaa's like, wait, there's one missing. Where's this one? The stupid scientists have brought one of their frozen mold containers out of the freezer. Uh, Charika is like, hey, if those spores are not frozen, they are literally explosive. Um, Nausicaa, again, her super proactivity, why she's a cool character. She jumps into action, grabs the pod. Like it starts like exploding over her arm and like yeets it out the back of the ship. Um, it does. It just spreads again into one of these cool little parachute things. Um, and there's a really interesting imagery, I guess, where the slime mold from the ground is kind of reaching up to like get its child, this child slime container. Um, and they sort of meet up and then the, the slime mold on the ground retreats. Um, they jettison the other spores down and the slime mold kind of accepts those. And yeah, that's the end. Shit's fucked. <laughs> like yeah. the slime molds out on the ground. It's sentient. It knows where the rest of the slime mold is being grown and it's going to go after it. I assume the Dorox have more of this maybe somewhere that they might be getting tracked down. So well, they but, already kind of fucked themselves by throwing the slime all over their like front yard. Uh, yeah, pretty much. I mean, they say it earlier, right? He's like, if that reaches the ground and is allowed to survive, like our whole homeland is going to be destroyed. And it kind of looks like that might happen now. Yeah. Uh, uh, unless, well, they also have kind of uh, the God Warrior to maybe burn up, burninate all the slime. So who knows? yeah, I'm. Well, I was gonna, I was gonna mention that. So is that? That's kind of where I think the story is going, right? Clearly, there's there's this kind of human power. There's this God Warrior. There's the massive power of the Omu and the insects, and then there's the slime mold, and they're all gonna come to a head at some point. And I don't. I don't no one's gonna no one's gonna win. So I don't want to predict who the winner's gonna be, but what do you think happens? Because I think this is probably, you know, gonna happen in the next two or three parts, obviously. So all those things I, meet up. It's the Daikai show. What do you think? Uh I, I think the only winner is it it can be Nausicaa in this manga. And, and the rest of the world by proxy. Right. Uh right. if if we're gonna call a winner right now, that is the only winner I see possible because this is a very anti war manga. Yes. With yeah. a lot of war in it. Um, yeah, I, yeah. I, I like that they uh, kind of uh, characterize both sides. I, there are a lot of good Doroks out there. Uh, I, I think Ketcha, for example, is very endearing as a character. Mm -hmm. um, I'm glad they included her. Like, I thought she'd be kind of a one and done kind of side character. But she's been in this yeah. whole fucking volume well i mean and i thought charka was going to be a sort of oh he's just the kind of general of this war scene and then once the war scene's over it'll be over and it's like nope he's a pretty he's a huge major character in this part the the elder who helps who nasca saves and helps and stuff um yeah i mean it, yeah 
so what did you, th- I mean, thoughts after we went through kind of all the things that happened, because it's, it's a lot, uh, how are you feeling? What kind of, yeah. Talk to me. Yeah. Yeah. We, I guess we could do kind of a, a kind of a, a, how we feel about it, uh, summary since this is the first big, um, yeah, I mean, this is it. the end. Well, this is the first end of, of the, the first book. The first book, yeah. So we'll be on to volume two, which is chapters, volumes five, six, and seven. Uh, but yeah, tell me about all of part one, I guess we'll call it. Uh, yeah, I, I just, I thought it was amazing. Uh, <laughs> it blew me away because yeah. I thought this would be kind of something, I, I mentioned this every time, but uh, I thought it would be kind of like a slow burn uh, with good character stuff. It is a fast burn with good character stuff. Yeah. Uh, stuff is happening all the time. It's nonstop. And I, I like I, I for since we are scheduled like reading section by section, like at the start of the section, um, I'm, I'm like, OK, I have to go through 120 pages. Um, and then I I flip over two pages. So I'm like, OK, I have 118 pages left. And then 118 pages vanishes because I get yeah. so immersed that I don't even realize I'm reading. Um, it, it's, it's very good. It's uh, so good. I, yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm in a similar boat. I was, I say the same thing. I think I've said every episode, I was fully expecting this to be much more Disney princess, you know, maybe a little edge of darkness, but this is more like, I mean, this is like World War II, like battling the trenches against monsters and like a little bit of Jurassic Park in there with like, you know, unchecked scientists. There's like, there's so, 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 so much more going on in this than I was expecting, right? I was expecting a sort of a nature, a man versus nature story where nature wins or where they learn to live in harmony where Nausicaa is this kind of Disney princess character. And instead what I got was like war and like monsters and zombie things and (laughs) slime mold, Jurassic park stuff. Insane. It's so, so it's so much more than I expected. It's so good. It's so dense. We were talking about this briefly before, but like most, I mean, I feel like most pages of manga, like, let me see if I can get one up to my camera here. Like most pages of manga are like, you know, six, maybe 10, uh, panels. And you can look at here, like this page that I'm holding up has one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12. There's 12 panels. And that's like average. I, I legitimately think that this is, this is easily like two pages per page is like the amount of content we're getting. And so, yeah, 120 pages is like it's only eight chapters, but it feels like it's like 20 chapters because so much happens because so much is packed in every page because there's so many panels. There's so much art. It's nice that it's on a big book. I think one of the reasons, um, I mentioned this maybe in, in, in episode one, I had tried to read this previously on my phone, which, you know, most, most manga I read on my phone, most modern stuff is fine. They're all sort of the page layouts are fine. And I was having a hard time. And I think part of that is because it's like, these pages shrunk down. Like I'm not able to get 13 panels in a phone size screen and absorb all of that and enjoy it. But having this big book and these big pages really helps. So yeah, Nazca's yeah. I mean, it's amazing. It's so good. It's so much better than I thought it was going to be. It's very good. Uh, yeah. And, and, and let me uh, give you kind of an example and you can let me know if you agree with this or not, but it reminds me a lot of uh, animal house and, Bear with me. Bear with me. Hold okay. on. <laughs> Animal House was kind of the progenitor of party movies. Right. And after that, it got iterated. It got huge. That genre got huge. Iterated upon a million times over. Uh, today, we have stuff like The Hangover and all that, which spawned from the ideas from the movie Animal House. Right. Um, Nausicaa kind of inspired a ton of different things. And having not read Nausicaa, I felt going back to seeing or reading Nausicaa would be treading over water I've already tread over a million other times that's been iterated upon better than what was uh, like the first version of it. And yeah, Nausicaa has been iterated upon. It's had its influence and impact stolen, used, copied, whatever you want to call it, uh, and done very well in other places. But it does like... Nausicaa is juggling like 20 balls and juggling a, them flawlessly, yeah. right? It's a like, weird blend, right? It's this weird blend of like, it's like one part Snow White, like one part 
like Godzilla kaiju monsters, one part Evangelion, which kind of came after it even, but yeah, it, one part like World War Two, World War One, like imagery and stuff. One part like this, like a f- dog fighting. <laughs> There's like planes everywhere flying. One part yeah. like nature. I don't know. It's it has all these cool elements that are combined. And well, I do think what you're saying is true that a lot of the a lot of the elements in Nausicaa are either one, not original, but sort of pulling from something and combining it in a new way or two have been iterated on. I don't think I've ever seen anything quite like Nausicaa. That's quite the blend of all these interesting genres and ideas at the same time. Exactly. It's, it's, it's doing all these ideas and doing them flawlessly. It's like, it it is, I, I, I can look at things that iterated upon Nausicaa or have used themes, ideas, and I don't think they've done them as well as Nausicaa. I don't think no, because has. how do you? Yeah, because I mean, most people are not good enough storytellers to say, okay, I'm going to make a, uh, you know, anti-pollution story that's also going to include war imagery and scientific, you know, the like uh, scientific experimentation on nature as part of a theme, and also. I mean, the, the, I think the big thing that surprised me is that I was not expecting like war to be like half of the story. Like this, it, it's also yeah. like you were talking about, it's sort of very clearly anti-war um, kind of in, in the same way. I wasn't expecting Evangelions. I mean, there's like, there's a, uh, some prototype, some proto, uh, there's some stuff in here that feels very like attack on Titan almost, you know, was influenced by where it's all these different people. And the only reason they're really at war is because like, who knows, who cares? They're just at war because war is what they do. And they have these weapons that they're unleashing that they don't understand the power of. Um, that's very in line with like what attack on Titan does. And there's a lot of stories like that, obviously. I mean, Oppenheimer just came off (laughs) talking about, you know, huge weapons that, uh, that are involved a war, but yeah, I mean, it's just, it's crazy. And it's, and like you mentioned, it's like, flawlessly executed like i i understand and like i don't like the war parts in that way but i there it it is interesting and enjoyable to see the whole story from every angle executed well and like not to miss a beat and the characters are all good and the side characters are all great and the the plot is good and yeah i'm this uh, this i think especially part four and part three um i'm in the same boat as you were like i finished reading them and was like I got, I want to keep going. I just want to keep going. It's so good. Um, part one and two, I was kind of, I think part one and two have more kind of resolution breaks in them where it's like, okay, I can be done. And what's the next part, part three and four, just like, like we mentioned, four picks up right where three left off. I don't know where five picks up, but four doesn't leave off at a good spot. Four leaves off with like, okay, we jettisoned the slime mold. It's still down there. What is it doing? The bugs are still attacking everyone. What happened to Kushana? Uh, what are, you know, Yupa and all that group doing? Yeah, it's just, I mean, clearly stuff is getting worse here, and I think probably we have one more chapter of things getting even worse before stuff starts to come to a head and uh, and get resolved. And, you know, like, it, I think it, it does war in a very, like, for an anti-war story, I think it does war in a very interesting way in that yeah. you, it writes the humans to be endearing. And I think it's it's very hard to do that because in wartime, you want to show the depths of human cruelty and like kind of how how fucked up do you get like how desperate do you get kind of a thing and it shows that of course in spades but uh i like that it shows both sides as having like it's all all multifaceted right we didn't need the kashana backstory she could have just been a a blank villain but we have that and she's a better character for it yeah we didn't need the dorok elder to be a good guy or to be a rational thinker right yeah. But there he is, um, both on opposite sides of the war, both made to be likable to the audience. And I think that's that's pretty hard to do. Uh, it's super cool. Yeah. And it's yeah. it's super interesting how the and I think we'll probably talk more of this at the very end when there's a little bit more resolution to it. But it's super interesting to me how the sort of nature, uh, the sort of pollution nature conservatory angle and the war angle play into and off of each other where man sort of goes to destroy and take advantage of nature when war happens to use nature's bounty, quote unquote, so to speak, to turn its turn nature into a weapon. Um, and then how that 
you know, feeds in destroying the land and angering in, in Nausicaa in angering the bugs and starting, uh, this, you know, the bugs exodus. Like if none of these people had been at war, they wouldn't have gotten the God warrior wouldn't have been woken up. They wouldn't have tried to develop the slime mold, which is what's going to start the Daikai show, which has angered and killed all these bugs, which made all these bugs move. It's really interesting. And like we're talking about, it's just, it's sort of a story weaved perfectly well. And it shows, you know, clearly there's an anti-pollution angle at the very start and part one is pretty big. And then as it goes on, it becomes much more about, well, humans, when they need something from nature, go and take it. And that makes stuff worse. And when stuff gets worse, that means that humans have to go to war to get things, to get land, to get, and when they're at war, they go and they take again from the land. And it's this kind of like endless, I I think it's being presented as this sort of endless loop of, you know, the land is ravaged, it pushes back, which means that, you know, it's like, think of it like, it's like over farming, you run out of farmland, you need to go take more farmland, you go and take it from your neighbor by going to war with your neighbor. Mm -hmm. You have to go to war with your neighbor, you have to cut down trees to make spears, you cut down those trees, now the land is washed out, now you don't have that land, you have to get more land, now you have to invade the next place. It's very kind of... And then you make an obsidian portal and then you go to the nether. <laughs> exactly. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's, it's just super interesting already how the, to me, how the war and the nature part are feeding into each other. And like that critique is not one that I've seen very often. I don't know if I've actually ever seen the sort of critique that, you know, like using up the land you're on requires you to go to war to get more land, which requires you to take advantage of the land, which means that you are then forced to take more land. There's kind of this ever expansionist kind of thing. Um, this could even, I mean, I don't know. There, there, I will say, I'll just say this. There, there might even be an angle here of Miyazaki, uh, digging in a little bit to kind of Japanese expansionism in the late, uh, I guess early 20th century, late, late 19th century, um, cause they were known as kind of like, I mean, they invaded China, invaded Korea during that time. Um, we'd have to see the know. Ghibli movies about that because I haven't seen those. Um, th- he has a few, so it could very well be. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. I think it's something he's, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's super interesting. I, I'm very curious to where this is all going because I, in, in stories like this that clearly have a message and a lesson, I'm always interested in how they're going to tell me the lesson and tell me the story and where it's going to end. Because a lot of, a lot of stories like this will end. Sometimes they just say, Hey, this is wrong. I want you to take away that this is wrong. And some of them will end with this is wrong and here's how to fix it. And they, they give you a a happy ending that shows you how to fix it. So, um, and I think in a lot of Ghibli's other movies, he's kind of gone on to give you a, here's how to fix it angle a little bit. I know like in, um, uh, Princess Mononoke is the other one, which is uh, Princess Mononoke. I want, I want to rewatch also because it's also has a lot to do with sort of building war machines by taking, by cutting down a forest and that angers a forest spirit. Like that's the plot of Princess Mononoke, which is kind of the exact same thing that I was talking about here. So, and, and you know what I, I actually like about the Nausicaa manga more than I liked about Princess Mononoke uh, I liked, I loved Mononoke as well, and I think it speaks to parts of the human mind. But um, in Mononoke, uh, humans were driven by greed. Um, mm-hmm. Here, they are driven by fear and anger, which is effectively the same emotion in this case. Um, Nausicaa actually even confused it when she thought the bugs were angry. No, right, yeah, good sc- point. Scared. Um, uh, every party in this manga is feels cornered even if they're winning. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Kushana's uh, troops are always on the back foot. The Doroks are always on the back foot. At least they all feel that way about themselves. Yeah. And they feel like every method, and same with the Bucks, uh, every method that they use feels to them like they are finally getting the front foot or equalizing the playing field so that they aren't completely wiped out. Yeah. So that's like everyone is going through the paranoid freak out of, oh, they're they're just going to fuck us up if we don't do this, you know, mm-hmm. uh, kind of a mentality. And I think Nasca might be the only character who kind of uh, empath- or understands their mindset and perspective right. and well, knows and that I think, everyone is collectively freaking out right now. Yeah, I think it's a good point. I think you can even go sort of a step further in all these warring nations and tie it back to, well, why do all those nations feel like they're 
under pressure or they're afraid. And it all comes back to the pollution and the sea of corruption and the expanding. And they're afraid of nature and they're afraid of it kind of starts with nature, but the nature started with man corrupting it. So it's kind of like you can follow it essentially all the way back to pollution bat, right? Like, yeah, it kind of, if you get, why is this, if you kind of keep asking why, well, you know, why are the Doroks concerned? Well, because of the Tormekians, why are the Tormekians concerned? The sea of corruption. And I think that that, that leads you all the way back to human and pollution and all that stuff, which is, which is clearly sort of, we stated at the start, the original influence for this story. But I think that also, is uh, sort of stands in contrast to Nausicaa and the Valley of the Wind and the way that Nausicaa interacts with that nature is not, she is not at odds with nature, even though that nature is threatening. She accepts it. And because she isn't afraid of it and she isn't pushing back on it and she isn't antagonistic towards nature, it's not antagonistic towards her. And that's kind of, I mean, it's hard to say that's what the story is all about. But I think right now I can, I can pretty confidently say that I've what I've taken from the story right now is that, um, you know, antagonizing nature, it's going to antagonize you back and it's the stronger force. So try to live in harmony with it. Right. This is it all comes back to be in harmony with nature, which is very, you know, smoke some weed 1970s. But it's not wrong. This so. whole story is let's all let's all just get along uh, the story, including nature. Yeah. Let's all just get along and get along with nature. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's just like, hey, everyone just hold hands and take this blunt and go on a ride, you know? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Cool. Well, any any last thoughts about part four? Uh, No, no. Um, My last thoughts were smoke a blunt, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. uh, Take be in cooperation with nature and smoke the green weed. That's our that's our final (laughs) thoughts here. Uh, cool. Hey, thanks for listening, everybody. That's part four of Nausicaa Catastrophe. Uh, we'll see you next week for part five. Uh, after that, only three more episodes after this one. So stay around. It'll be here on the White Gray Black Weekly Manga Podcast channel. Tune in, like, subscribe. See you later. And don't forget to read more Nausicaa.